There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Welcome to the Health Essentials Podcast, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. I'm your host, Deanna Pogorels. We're now several months into the coronavirus pandemic, and we're also fast approaching peak season for yet another infectious disease, influenza. Here to explain everything we need to know heading into this flu season is infectious disease specialist, Dr. Kristen Englund. Hi, Dr. Englund. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Deanna. For our listeners, please remember that this is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So Dr. Englund, one thing I keep hearing over and over again by some people during this pandemic is that coronavirus is just another flu and it's not a big deal and why are we making such a big deal about it? So can we start by talking a little bit about what differentiates these viruses and how the flu is different from the coronavirus? Well, certainly. First of all, they're caused by two completely separate viruses. Influenza has been around for many, many, many years, and we're aware of the two types, influenza A and influenza B. Each year, there are going to be different variants of the influenzas, so that's why we have a vaccine that we need to get every year for those. SARS-CoV-2 is a brand new virus. We've had coronaviruses in the past, but this is a brand new variant of it. So this is something that we've not seen before. None of us have ever seen it. So none of us have any form of immunity against it. And that's why it's able to spread so worldwide and so rapidly is because nobody has immunity. Nobody is protected against it at this point. Unfortunately, we have no way to protect people against it either in the form of a vaccine. There's no vaccine available for the new COVID-19. However, we do have influenza vaccines that are available. And what do we know about how infectious um, the coronavirus is? Is it more contagious than the flu, less contagious? So certainly coronavirus is, is spread similarly to the way that influenza is spread. It's spread through respiratory droplets. So if somebody is coughing, if somebody is sneezing, if somebody is talking, um, singing uh, around you, those droplets can be passed back and forth. And those droplets can carry a number of infections, including influenza and including the SARS-CoV-2. So the question is whether we can get it, if, if we're more likely, if we get exposed to flu versus if we're more likely to get COVID-19. So they're roughly uh, about similarly infectious, although what we're seeing is more likely these super spreading events when we talk about COVID-19. So if somebody is going, say, out to, uh, to a meeting, to a choir practice, to a party, and they have COVID-19 but don't necessarily have symptoms, they can be super spreading at that point in time, meaning more and more people around them are more likely to get exposed to and infected than say somebody if they were to have just the flu. I see. And so we know we've heard that most people who get COVID-19 get either no symptoms or mild symptoms and can kind of recover at home. But what do we know about, you know, the rate of people who get it and become very sick and need to be hospitalized? 
Certainly. So, you know, we're seeing certainly our hospitals uh, in certain areas filling up with patients who are very, very ill with COVID-19. So you're right. While the majority of people are only going to be having mild symptoms, about 20% of people who have symptoms are going to be having more severe symptoms and possibly even requiring hospitalization. So for those who are more likely to get ill and require hospitalization, they're under usually certain categories of, of folks who either are older, over the age of 65, as far as COVID goes, that's also the same as flu. Um, people who have underlying illnesses, such as otherwise uh, underlying lung disease, like COPD or asthma. People who have diabetes uh, or high blood pressure. Uh, people who also are morbidly obese, so who have a, a, a weight or a body mass index that we see that's that's higher than uh, about 40, uh, 40. And as we or as you all as medical professionals have learned more about COVID-19 over the past few months, um, have you gotten a better idea of how to treat people who get it, even though there's not necessarily one treatment per se specifically for COVID-19? Absolutely. I think we have to give a lot of credit to our intensivists. So those of our uh, physicians and respiratory therapists who are working in the intensive care units, where we've seen numbers in other countries, uh, as, as far as, you know, 40% of people who are in the intensive care unit in, in say, Italy, uh, who were passing away uh, if they had to be uh, intubated in the intensive care units, we're seeing numbers much better than that here uh, in the United States. So I think our intensivists have learned a lot about how to manage the vents, uh, the, the ventilators specifically in, in patients with this disease. We're also learning how to manage medications such as steroids uh, in using those in patients who have very severe disease. We're also offering trials that were not available right off the bat. Uh, so we're trying new medications uh, under guidance of the FDA and under uh, clear clinical trials with medications such as remdesivir. Um, so we're finding out more and more about the best ways to treat patients and offering better hopes that even if you get in the intensive care unit or need to be intubated, there's a greater likelihood that you'll survive. Yeah, and I want to ask you about symptoms, because I know when this all started, there was a lot of talk about how it's very hard to differentiate COVID-19 from the flu because the, similars the symptoms tend to be very similar. So how has uh, our knowledge of symptoms evolved since then? Well, as we're heading into the flu season, this is one thing that we're concerned about because there are a lot of similarities between influenza or the flu and COVID-19. So patients will often present with either one with a cough, feeling short of breath, having a fever, also presenting with, uh, with muscle aches or overall soreness, uh, fatigue. People get very tired with both of those uh, disease processes. Some of the differences that we're seeing a little bit more is uh, diarrheal illnesses or nausea and vomiting in patients with COVID, although children with influenza can have those symptoms as well. And a very different symptom that we're seeing is a loss of sense of taste and sense of smell in patients with COVID-19. Headaches can be seen in both of them, although the problems that we're seeing with COVID-19 are that people are getting blood clots. So headaches in somebody with COVID-19 can be very concerning because it could indicate the potential for a stroke or a bleed. 
What about the kind of traditional upper respiratory symptoms, like a runny nose or more like cold symptoms? Are those common at all? So while we see those listed as people having sneezing, watery eyes, runny nose, um, they can be seen in COVID-19 patients, but they're certainly much less. I would suspect that mostly that's going to be your typical cold type symptoms. If you're not showing other symptoms such as you know, more of a shortness of breath, cough, potentially fevers, it's less likely to be COVID-19 or the flu. Okay, so as we are heading into cold and flu season um, and have all of these things on our mind, can you talk a little bit about when does flu season really begin and what kind of flu season are we expecting this year? Sure, great question. So our flu season will typically see starting in roughly October. It really differs every year. Sometimes we're not seeing influenza uh, rearing its head until January, February, um, but some years it's as early as October. So this year we're recommending that people get a flu vaccine in September and October so that we're prepared for the beginning parts of the flu season and we have everybody protected as best as we can at this point in time. So what are we expecting from a flu season this year? A lot of times we can predict our flu season based upon what they see in the Southern Hemisphere. So say in Australia. What we're seeing so far is that they're having a lighter flu season than usual, which is a blessing at this point. We don't necessarily want to be fighting these two off at the same time. However, it's not 100% it's not accurate. So we're hoping for a lighter flu season. Some of it may be a lighter flu season because they've also been following a lot of COVID-19 precautions. And we know that the way that we can prevent ourselves from getting exposed to influenza and, and getting sick from influenza are a lot of the same things that we're recommending that you use to keep yourself from getting exposed to and getting ill from COVID-19. Uh, why do we tend to see the flu peak during the winter months? So we see it a lot during the winter months because that's also a time when as it's getting colder here, uh, we're starting to see people congregating indoors more. So the flu is more likely to be spread amongst people as you're in, in your home, as you're in enclosed environments, you're not spending as much time outside, riding your bike, going for long walks. So people are in a, in a lot uh, closer environments. Yeah, and I'm curious as we're kind of navigating this, figuring out how kids are going to go back to school, um, could that potentially be a factor in how good or bad the flu season is? Well, I think a lot of it's going to depend upon how well we're able to encourage social distancing, hand washing, masking, even while our kids are in school. Um, we can certainly see that for influenza, some of our youngest children can get sick uh, more often than um, old, than our middle-aged folks. So we do worry about influenza in the very youngest children. But as we look at children, say, that are more of the school-age time, uh, they're at risk for a certain infection called the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. And that's a very rare but very severe illness that we can see in, in school-age children. So going back to school is not completely safe. Uh, but it is something that certainly many people are going to discuss uh, the risks and benefits of that. And I think our school systems and our parents and our teachers are going to have to make decisions based upon that. Yeah, so I want to ask what we can all be doing to kind of prepare ourselves to stay healthy this flu season. And you talked a little bit about that, but um, maybe you can reiterate a few of the really important things that we need to be doing. 
Absolutely. So we do know that there are ways that you can protect yourself from getting either influenza or COVID, and they're pretty simple. So when you're going out in public, it's really important that you wear a mask that not only protects you, but it also protects those that are around you. So if you are coughing, if you're at a time when you're feeling well, but you do have the virus and you could potentially spread it to someone else, then the mask is going to catch that virus and catch those droplets and keep you from being able to spread them to someone else. So masking is terribly important. We do know that masks are not 100% effective. So it's important, even if you're wearing a mask, to maintain that social distancing. And what that means is that you're gonna be standing six feet away from somebody else so that if a little bit of droplets are able to get out through and that virus is able to penetrate out that mask, it's not gonna be able to travel as far and potentially infect someone else. The other thing that we do know is that the virus can sometimes live on other objects. So if you're touch touching a handle, say on a grocery cart or on a door handle, um, you can get virus on your hand. And then as we all normally do, it's just so easy to touch your face or touch your eyes or rub your nose and rub your eyes. The virus can then get into your eyes or your nose or your mouth. So if you're out in public, it's really important to make sure that after you touch something, to use hand sanitizer or go into the bathroom and wash your hands for 20 seconds. Okay, and if someone does develop some of those flu-like symptoms that we talked about earlier that could possibly be flu, could possibly be COVID-19, uh, what are the best steps for them to take at that point? Well, I think the most important thing for you to do is make sure that you call your physician's office or call one of the uh, urgent cares or express care uh, online. Uh, models so that you can get in contact with a provider and talk through with them about what your symptoms are. Sometimes the symptoms can be easily managed at home. Sometimes you may need a test looking for flu or looking for COVID-19 and, and the person on the other end of the phone can direct you to where you can most appropriately be getting a test. Sometimes those symptoms may be more concerning like you're having a bit more shortness of breath when you're trying to climb the stairs than you could before, or your temperature's high, higher than we would like to see, or you may be having some chest pain. Um, those may be indicators that uh, the provider on the other end of the phone is gonna direct you then to the emergency room. We'd rather you not just show up at your primary care doctor's office without giving them a call ahead of time, because it's gonna be really important that we make sure that we keep our offices, our, our uh, doctor's offices safe uh, for all people who are coming in for visits. So if we get a heads up and we know that somebody is having some of these symptoms, we can either direct you to a different location or we can make sure that we're getting you into a room appropriately and not having you sitting in a waiting room. Do we know anything about a potential interaction between um, the coronavirus and a flu virus? Have we seen any cases where people have both? You know, it's certainly not impossible for people to have both since they are two different viruses. Um, there's no reason why you can't get exposed to both of them at the same time. We're not seeing a, a, a lot of people who are having viruses, uh, the two viruses together. There aren't any clear cases that we've had of that, um, but it is certainly possible. And if you were to get exposed to both of them, uh, that could be quite devastating. 
Um, so for those of us who are preparing for cold and flu season, is there anything that we should be stocking our medicine cabinets with, um, anything that we should really have on hand in case we were to get sick with either the flu or with COVID-19 or even just a cold? Sure. So I think number one, the best thing that you can do to prepare for this, for this uh, viral season is to make sure that you're getting your flu vaccine. As I said before, we don't have a vaccine for COVID-19. So let's protect ourselves against the one thing that you can protect yourself from, and that's the flu vaccine. So everyone should be getting a flu vaccine, regardless of whether you see yourself in a risk category or not. It not only protects you, but it protects all the loved ones around you. So in my case, if I'm 55 years old and I don't necessarily fall into a risk category, I need to get the flu vaccine so that I can protect my parents. The other thing that we should have in our cabinet, you know, certainly fevers can go along with any of these syndromes. So having some Tylenol at home uh, is, is a good idea to be able to take care of any of the fevers. Some ibuprofen in case you're having more of the kind of muscle aches Having a cough syrup at home certainly is a good thing to have. Um, having a thermometer, making sure that you have a thermometer around and a good thermometer, one that you can rely upon. And then one other thing to consider is a machine that is very simple. You just put it on your finger and it's called a pulse oximeter. And that is one that you can use to make sure that the oxygen level, if you're feeling a little short of breath, that your oxygen level is staying in a healthy range. And a healthy range that we want to see is above 94%. So as long as you're maintaining your oxygen above 94%, you're doing just fine. If it starts to fall below that, or when you're exercising, walking upstairs, walking into the kitchen, you see it falling below that, that's an indicator that you want to call your doctor or call one of the urgent care or express care lines. Okay, so if we do get sick, um, and you mentioned, you know, being in close contact with your doctor, um, mm -hmm. you know, if we're staying at home, kind of, you know, resting, treating ourselves at home, um, how long can we expect symptoms of either the flu or COVID to last? And how do we know that it's safe to go out into the world again, and not be contagious? Absolutely. So we certainly want to make sure that we're feeling well, but also that we're not infecting others. So we know that with influenza, you can be shedding the virus or possible, possibly spreading the virus to somebody else for about a day before you're even having symptoms. Typically symptoms of influenza or the flu are gonna be lasting about four or five days, maybe even up to seven days. So typically for about a week, if you have the flu, it's a good idea to kind of hunker down at home uh, and make sure that you're not going out and potentially spreading the disease to other people. For COVID-19, it tends to last a little bit longer than that. So people can be infected and show symptoms anywhere from two days to 14 days later. But we also know that if you've been infected before you start to show symptoms, you can be passing the virus on for a good two to three days, even before you're showing any symptoms. The symptoms of, of coronavirus or COVID-19 can last for about 10 days, so longer than influenza. So it's really important that you're staying away from everybody else and again, just staying down on your couch, staying in your bedroom, uh, really isolating yourself away from other people for at least 10 days. Well, great, that was all great information. Is there anything else we didn't talk about that you think is important to leave our listeners with? You know, I'm afraid we're not going to be seeing a virus uh, or a vaccine for COVID-19 for some time. I think we're going to have to get 
very comfortable with practicing all of these preventative measures uh, for certainly flu, but also for COVID-19. So it is something really important that we need to be able to embrace and understand that we're not only protecting ourselves, we're protecting all of those around us. And that if we want to get back to more of a normal life, uh, being able to go out to movie theaters, being able to again, go back to school safely for our kids and go out shopping, we're gonna need to practice all of these preventative measures to make sure that we are keeping ourselves safe and being able to move back into a bit more normalcy. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank and you. to our listeners, for the latest information on coronavirus or to schedule a virtual visit or appointment, you can visit clevelandclinic.org slash coronavirus. You can also find more podcasts with our Cleveland Clinic experts at clevelandclinic.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, Cleveland Clinic, one word. Thanks for joining us. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.